0: Tiffany and Jaron, this is the first Sunday your little guy's been here to church, isn't that right? No one gets to come for the first time without being introduced. So Jaron, if you could stand up and let us see this little guy. This is Jaron and Tiffany's new little baby. I'm surprised Grandpa let you hold him uh, <laughs> just for a little bit. <laughs> what a beautiful little boy. My. It is going to be a a long time for me um, when I can look out on a Sunday morning and see our dear sister and fellow servant Mary Ann sitting back here without Daryl next to her. It's very hard, and it'll be a long time before I can get used to that. Um... On the evening that Daryl went home to be with the Lord, Joshua, our son, was away at a Bible study group, a youth group meeting, and didn't get home until 9.30 or 10. Kathy and I had sat up late to tell him about Mr. Wix's homegoing, and when we told Josh I mean, he had come in, and he was so happy. He'd been this wonderful Bible study. He said it was a great study, Dad, and he told me all about it. And I asked him to sit down. I have some tough news to tell you. And I shared it with Josh, and, uh, and Josh just sobbed. And uh, we sobbed together and for quite some time. And at the end of it, Josh said something that was so profound. Because it was just so candid and honest emotionally, he wiped the tears back and looked up at me and he said, "Dad, what am I gonna do now?" Which was an amazing statement, an amazing question to ask after hearing the news of Mister Wicks, who'd been his friend since he was just a little guy, a little toddler. All. Always called him the big guy, at least to me. And um, what am I going to do now? And that is a question that you have asked yourself time after time after time throughout your life. Because life is characterized by a long and repeated series of transitions. When life events and circumstances change, and we find ourselves involuntarily ushered into a transition. And I've been pondering this all week long and thinking about it. How do we handle transitions? How do we go through major life changes? And there are all kinds of them, aren't there? From the time when you're the youngest all the way through, actually to the very last breath, and even that last breath brings about a transition. So I want to think about this with you today, and it's really just a a meditation, but it's drawn from someone that I, I, I thought, this is a good man to look at. How did he handle major transition, and um, for that, I want you to turn with me in your Bibles, if you have them with you, to John chapter 3. When we go to John chapter 3, we instantly, who know our Bibles, think about the Lord's interaction and dialogue with Nicodemus, a ruler and teacher of the Jews, We also think about his teaching on the new birth. And of course, John 3.16 perhaps is the most famous of Bible verses in all the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So, John 3 brings those things to mind, but there's a section in John 3 that we often just skip right over and don't stop and ponder, what is this about? And what we actually have is the last witness and statements that reveal to us the heart of the greatest man, apart from Christ, who ever walked the earth. I can say that because Jesus said it. Speaking of John the Baptist, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, of those born of women, none have risen as great as John. Speaking of John the Baptist. And John was this bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He was the bridge. He was the forerunner who was called to to make straight and pave the way for the coming of Messiah, of Christ. And John was this square-jawed, rough prophet who lived in such simplicity, who lived from our standards in utter poverty. And yet the Lord said of him, none have risen greater than John. He lived on locusts and wild honey and whatever he could find in the wilderness of Judea to eat. He clothed himself in camel's hair, and wore a leather belt around his waist. John had a tender, humble heart before God, but a fiery boldness before man. And John was not given to sentimentality. John was given to fiery spiritual truth. And he came preaching the kingdom of God. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Eternity is coming to bear upon us all. And we need to make sure we're in that kingdom. And so John, in his 33 years of life, the cousin of Jesus himself, filled with the Holy Spirit from within Elizabeth's womb, the Scripture tells us. Here's John, this square-jawed, fiery-eyed prophet, who now has reached a point in his life where the greatest transition of all is about to occur. He had gathered a massive following all over Israel, people flocking out by the tens of thousands to hear John preach and to be baptized. Pharisees were sent to him and rulers were sent to him and he said to them, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent to bear witness of him. And when Jesus came to the Jordan River that particular day, and the river was lined with thousands of people, Christ stepped into the Jordan River and was baptized by John. And John felt unworthy to even untie his sandal. And yet he, was, he baptized Christ on that day. And John pointed to him and told his disciples, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. None have risen greater than John. So I thought to myself, Lord, we are in a huge transition as a church family. Many of you may not be affected by it as much as others, and no one here is affected more than our dear sister, Mary Ann. But Darrell's homegoing has rocked us There were things even planned within a week from now that without Daryl, I'm not sure what to do. And so we're going to postpone it until we can regroup and figure out what to do. Transition. We all have to go through them. It's just the nature of our lives. And some transitions are benign in a sense. They're not as difficult. They require just a few adjustments here and there. But others of us, as I look out and see you and know a little bit about what you've gone through in the last couple years, some of you have faced enormous transitions, difficult transitions, painful transitions, and some of you are still in the midst of transition. It's the nature of our lives. Well, John faced transition? I want you to take it up with me here just by way of background. Verse 22 of John chapter 3. It says, after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing. And John also was baptizing in Aenon near Salim because there was much water there, and they were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. And there arose, therefore, a discussion, which is really a bit of an argument, on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. What was this about? Well, what was happening was John had this following, tremendous following in disciples. And Christ now was on the scene and had begun His public ministry, and people were beginning to move toward Him and to learn and listen to Him. And what is happening is John's disciples are feeling, and you don't want to be too hard on them, but there's a bit of competition in their hearts. There's a feeling of jealousy and envy in their hearts, and there's this tension that they feel because the crowds are moving toward Christ and away from John. And so John, uh, his disciples are troubled by this, and they come to John to discuss it with him. And so in verse 26, we read, And they came to John and said, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have borne witness, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. Now, as we read this, we don't really, unless you put yourself in John's shoes, you're not going to really grasp what's happening here. And this is where John's example comes through for us on how do we handle transition. What's happening is they're saying, he's baptizing and people are going to him. John, this is not good. What do you think about this? And this is where the story begins to unfold. And we begin to see what's in John's heart as he enters this period of transition. And it's very, very instructive. And the points today are very, very simple. When you go through transition, when I go through a transition, which we inevitably will, what should we do? How do I respond to transition? Even difficult transition. Well, the first thing that I see in John's example is that Uh, He teaches us to allow God to direct our doings. In verse 26, in response to what they said, Rabbi, everyone's going after Christ. You're losing your crowd. And John says this in verse 27, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. That statement is a telling statement of John's understanding of his life. You see, every spiritual gift that you've ever received, every enablement and talent and ability that you've developed through the years, and every person in your life that's been valuable and significant and has, been, has meant a great deal to you, all of that is a gift from God. No man can receive anything in the context of the kingdom of God, of being a child of God, of belonging to Him. All that we receive that is good has come from God. We don't own it. We can't white-knuckle it. We can't hang on to it. It's given to us. And when something very valuable, whether it's a job or whether it's your health or whether it's a loved one or whatever it is, when something that we have been given from heaven is being taken, we are immediately jolted and our sensibilities are disrupted. And we're saying, don't take that away. And yet we know that whatever we've received here on earth can't last. We don't have anything here that we can hang on to, not earthly gifts, and so John immediately responds, listen, fellas. My ministry, my calling from God as a prophet, as the forerunner of Christ, the crowds that have followed, the impact that I've made, all of this is God's gift to me. It's a, it's a mercy to me. It's, it's an honor that he's granted me. But it was only for a time no man can receive anything unless it's been granted him from heaven. And when God says the gift is done, I'm withdrawing it, that's the way it is. And doesn't mean it isn't painful, it doesn't mean it isn't difficult, but it's the way it is and it immediately ushers us into transition, doesn't it? Now we're in a season of change, transition. Secondly, through John's example, he would tell us when you're in the midst of transition, Allow God not only to direct your doings, but also to direct your life. Um, Verse 26, we read, And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have borne witness, behold, look, he's baptizing, and all are coming to him. How does John feel about that? That's quite a change. How would you like to be called and have your entire work, your entire life's work, which was the Baptist John's entire life's work had reached ahead, and all that he had done and the following that he had acquired and the thousands and thousands that had been affected in Israel through his preaching and his teaching and his ministry that God had granted him from heaven... All of it was given to him to simply surrender up to Christ. He had to relinquish it and give it all away, just like that. And so how did he feel about that? They're all going to him now. And John is being eclipsed. John is like the twinkling stars that I looked up at last night, From my backyard, tiny little beautiful twinkling stars. But as soon as the dawn broke and the blazing fullness of the sun came up over the horizon, all those stars seemed to disappear. John was like one twinkling star. But when the full blaze of the sun shines, the twinkling star isn't seen. That's where John was. So how did he feel about that? He tells us exactly how he feels about it, and he rejoices in it. He affirms it and says, this is what life's about, for the child of God, that is. Not for the world, but for the one who knows the Lord and loves the Lord. What is it? It's found in verse 30. Look at this terse, condensed statement that basically characterizes the beginning of our Christian life all the way to the end look at verse 30 John says he must increase but i must decrease and in the christian life and in your life as a as a person of faith who come to trust christ and love the lord and live your life for him the whole of your life is characterized by transition after transition and when those transitions do their work within you, what happens is that you begin more and more to have this profound conviction that my life is about Him increasing and me decreasing. Increase, decrease. Increase, decrease. That's what it's all about for the child of God. Now that's upside down from the way the world thinks, isn't it? The world doesn't think like that and it doesn't operate on that kind of of a principle, because it's a divine principle. I love that in John. What humility. His disciples are worried about his feelings and about his reputation and about his popularity, and they come and they say, hey, he's baptizing over there, and everybody's following him. John, what are we going to do? And John says, he must increase, and I must decrease. How's that for... From the lips of someone, Jesus said, of those born of women, none have risen as great as John. His sovereign purpose. His sovereign purpose for you and for me is being worked out. He is in control. And it does involve transition. So the first is, John, through his example, would say to you and me, when you go through transitions and difficult times, life-changing, allow God to direct your doings. For no man can receive anything unless it is given him from heaven. Secondly, allow God to direct your life. Increase, decrease. Thirdly, allow God to direct your joy. See, I I came across this statement years ago, and it was a simple statement. It was joy can, excuse me, joy never comes from things we can lose. Joy cannot come from things that we can lose. Joy is much more profound than that. And if you're a child of God, then your fellow believers are people you can really never lose, ultimately. We belong together. We are bound together in the body of Christ. We are united together in Christ. And in a sense, we never lose each other ultimately, but there are transitions in life when we lose each other temporarily, and they're painful, and they're hard, and sometimes seemingly unbearably hard, but God will carry us. Where am I getting this? Verse 29, listen to what John says. He says, he who who has the bride is the bridegroom. Okay? The bride and a bridegroom. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. So John sees this, uses this illustration for us. He who has the bride has the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. And so, this joy of mine has been made complete or full. What is John saying? He's saying, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's the bridegroom. The people who trust and know him, they are the bride. And I am Old Testament. I'm an Old Testament prophet. I have come as a bridge from the Old Testament to the New, as a forerunner to pave the way. And I stand back, and I see the bridegroom, and I see the bride, and I hear the bridegroom's voice as he speaks to his bride, and nothing brings me greater joy, John says. Seeing the difference that Jesus makes in people's lives is a source of great joy, (laughs) Joy in time and also in eternity. Do you rejoice? Do you rejoice that Christ is at work in His people? I can tell you right now, no one, you've heard me say this before, no one is able to multitask. We say that about people. Probably, Ann, sorry for picking on you this morning, Mary Ann, of all the people that I know, and then my wife, of course, too. They are multitaskers. They can have 10 projects going simultaneously. It's amazing to see it. I'm, not, I'm quite simple. I'm not able to do that. But to watch them do it. But who, who can hold a candle to the way God? Multitasks. And in this past week and a half since Daryl's gone home to be with the Lord, the Lord has been speaking to you and to you and to you and to you and to me and all of us. Multitasking, touching our hearts, speaking to our conscience, speaking to us in ways tailored for us, all emanating from him taking home his son to be with him. Multitasking in all our lives. Allow God to direct your joy. John did. And then lastly, when you go through transitions, life-changing transitions, allow God to direct your understanding. Allow Him in. Allow Him to be at work. Uh, sometimes in, during these periods of pain and loss and transition and difficulty, I, I almost find myself, when my kids were little and we needed something for them to do, you know, little kids, they can occupy themselves with anything. And then I learned very quickly it was a mistake because I thought uh, my little one is, needs something to do and he's got all this excess energy. I know what I'll do. I'll find one of Kathy's wooden spoons and one of her stainless steel cooking pots and I'll give him the spoon and the cooking pot and sit him on the floor. Oh, my, what a mistake. What do you think happened? What do you think I heard for the next hour? The clanging on this pot. But sometimes when I'm going through difficult, life-changing transitions, it's as though that experience had climbed right into my head and all I could hear. Why? and. What am I going to do? And how can this be happening? And, and there's just the clanging of pots and pans and I can't hear. And my understanding gets fogged and gets confused and I go through difficulty and, and all of us do at times. But it's important to catch yourself. Realize what you're doing. Quiet the pots and pans down. This so, the Lord, give me understanding. Give me a new view of you. And John knew that these people even his own disciples needed an expanded view of who Jesus Christ is. They needed a, 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 a very expansive view of who he is because they're, they were very limited. They had no clue, really, of who he was yet. And so they're worried about whether he's baptizing and people are flocking to him. And so, what does John say? Listen to it, verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard, of that he bears witness, and no man receives his witness. He who has received his witness has set his seal to this. That God is true. Verse 34. For he whom God has sent, speaking of Jesus, speaks the words of God. For he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. That statement is staggering. We're used to reading our Bibles. We're used to Bible terminology. We read a statement like that, and it just ricochets right off. Think of what John the Baptist is saying. Look at verse 35 again with me. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. And then he ends with this, this conclusion, this invitation of sorts. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Why does, it, why does it interchange the word believe in him and obey him? Well, m- my personal opinion is because the command, the summons to all of us, is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. The command is to believe. And so he says here those who believe have granted them the gift of eternal life. But those who refuse, The summons of God, where he calls us to trust in Christ and to turn from sin and trust in him, those who do not obey that summons, the wrath of God abides on them. And so thus, that's the last we hear of John the Baptist until later where he has some doubts about Christ when he's in prison before he's beheaded. How is it that the greatest to ever live, born of women, is beheaded in a dungeon and his head brought forth on a platter to entertain a group of drunkards in 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 a palace of sensual drunkenness? How can that be? And another question might be, how can it be that the greatest display of the power and authority and greatness and glory of God could be displayed for us in the image of a little lamb? Not not a full-grown sheep, but a lamb, the kind of little lamb I could pick up here and just hold in my arms and scratch his little fuzzy head and you'd all ooh and ah because he's the cutest little thing you ever saw. This lovely little lamb, as harmless as anything you can imagine. Nature-wise, not a mean bone in its body. Cute little lamb. But when John sees this vision of glory, what does he see? He sees a throne of God. He sees it surrounded by an emerald rainbow. He sees a vast sea of glass leading up to it. And he sees this scene that's jaw-droppingly beautiful and glorious. Millions and millions of angelic beings around this throne. And the centerpiece of it all is a lamb. And not just a lamb, but a lamb that looks as though it had been slain. I want to end this with end this little talk with a verse that got hold of me last night before I went to bed I was, it was midnight and I was pondering this verse and it's the word nevertheless you notice how we use that word you use it very often nevertheless nevertheless is a word that speaks of transition When a person says, nevertheless, it's because something preceded it. Life was like this up until now, but everything's changed. But they're able to say, nevertheless. And so, in Scripture, the word nevertheless is a a term of faith, a term of hope, a term of trust. It's a term of transition. In this verse from Psalm 73, it reads, Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast taken hold of my right hand. With thy counsel, thou wilt guide me. You see what that verse is saying? That's the experience of the child of God that looks to him in the midst of transition, that looks to him in life-changing and difficult Times where season, the season of transition is now upon us. Nevertheless, nevertheless, it's a, it, 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 it's a term that characterizes our lives. All through our lives, time after time, we found ourselves as believers, as God's children, as His sons and daughters saying, well, this has happened, this is going on but nevertheless and the but nevertheless is a is a word of trust a word of faith a word of hope it's a word depicting transition but listen we don't stop there you know why we're in transition you know why you have so many of them and do you know why when you get to the end of your life you have one more ultimate transition It's because we're not only in a life of transition, but the whole of your life as a Christian. Listen to me now. My life and your life, all of us together who know Christ, we have a destiny. And what that means is, is that my life is not only a series of transitions, but it has a trajectory. My life is on a course that cannot be altered. Because of the promise of God to me. And so, after all the transitions of life occur for you and for me, finally we'll reach that final transition. And then, that transition will usher us according to the promise of God right into the presence of His glory. That's trajectory. That's true of every child of God. Transition after transition, many, many, but one trajectory. Just one. Jesus put it this way in John 17. Father, He prayed, Father, I desire also that those whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may behold my glory. What does this verse say? Nevertheless, a word of transition. I am continually with thee. It's hard. My heart is aching. I don't know if I can get through this but Thou hast taken me by the right hand. And with Thy counsel, Lord, Thou wilt guide me, me through this transition. But the trajectory, tra- trajectory of my life makes certain this final phrase in verse 24. Afterward, after what? after a hundred different transitions in my life, after they're done and I reach the final transition and it stops beating, now I'm in for the glorious transition. Transition into His presence. And so here's the promise. Afterward, receive me to glory. When life changing transitions come, what do we do? Well, we allow God to direct our doings. We allow God to direct our life. We allow Him to direct our joy. And we allow Him to direct our understanding. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're on earth and you are on the throne. You alone are fit to take the universe's throne. And our lives here on earth, Lord, are lives of change, lives of transition, sometimes painful transition. Lord, thank you that though our lives have so many twists and turns and involuntary transitions, many, many, many of such hardships, thank you that our life as a child of God has one single trajectory, that we are going to one day come home and You will receive us to glory and we will know that the Lamb who shed His blood for us, who gave His life for us, that Lamb is the reason of that trajectory. Lord, thank You. Thank You for life in union with Christ. Thank You for the newness of life that you have given to us. And thank you that though difficulty comes and hardship comes and seasons of change come, thank you that you have set us on a course that cannot be altered, that ultimately leads home. And so during our earthly life, grant us Grant us your direction, directing our doings, our life, our joy, our understanding. Be at work in all of us as we go through these transitions. And Lord, this morning again, we pray for grace for your enabling grace in Marianne's life beyond any that she's ever known, that you would sustain her and comfort her and grant her daily strength and enablement to pick up and to keep going and to do what she needs to do all along knowing that you, Lord, you have taken her by the right hand and with your counsel you will guide her and even she, along with all of us, afterward will be received to glory. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name, in his matchless and worthy name, we pray this as a church, as fellow believers, as your sons and daughters, we thank you for Marianne and ask you, Lord, to surround her, accompany her through each stage of this hard transition. And, Lord, you know all the other transitions going on here. I don't know them all, but, Lord, you do. Have your hand on each of us, we pray. Amen.